This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes, hello everybody, welcome to episode 25 yes. of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We've hit a quarter century in episodes and there is one week left in the hockey season. So this is a big show, especially for people still alive in their hockey pools, like myself, your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and Brian Kahn. Hey, Elon, happy finals week. Indeed. Okay, so let's get right into it. Let's get to our first Keeping Carlson headline of the week. Out juries. That's right. There are some players coming back next week that you might not be aware of. So we're here to inform you. Number one, is Cam Fowler, defenseman for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. He got injured a few weeks back. It seemed as if he'd be out for the season. So if he was dropped in your league, then you would be interested to know that. He will likely be returning sometime next week. We don't know the exact day, which obviously would be more helpful. But the Ducks play on Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you should at least expect him back in the lineup for Saturday and Sunday. Could be a nice boost to your team in the last couple of days if you need a couple extra points to grab that championship. Yeah, and in the meantime, I think it's worth mentioning that Stefan Robida has done pretty well in Fowler's absence. He was traded at the deadline while injured uh, from Dallas to Anaheim, and he's got a goal and four assists to give him five points in his last seven games played with the Ducks. He's never been one to give a whole lot of peripherals. He doesn't take or block a whole lot of shots, but until Fowler does return, he seems to be in a decent spot to put up a point or two in the last few games of the season. Yeah, that's right. And like we mentioned last week, the Ducks had a pretty cushy schedule this week. Unfortunately, that's not really going to last going into next week past Monday. So today they play Edmonton and tomorrow they play Vancouver. After that, it's San Jose on Wednesday. Then, like I said, LA and Colorado, the super defensive and amazing goaltending Colorado Avalanche, and we'll get to that. So it might be tough to get a lot of goals from Anaheim, but at the same time, you know, Camp Fowler releases an elite defenseman, Stefan Robida, definitely worth mentioning as someone who has stepped up in his absence. And who's the other out jury, Elon? Yeah, so another person that I've been reading will be coming back potentially for the end of the season is P.A. Parento from the Colorado Avalanche, and he was dropped in my league, so he's available for me to potentially grab if I need some last-minute help. Like I mentioned, Colorado plays Anaheim on Sunday, the last day of the season, so if Parento's back for that game, definitely 
a worthy ad if you're in a deep league. He's had a real up and down season this year. We've talked about his struggles before on the show, but he was just apparently starting to figure it out again before he got injured. Before the game that he left with an injury, he had six points in his last seven games. Yeah, so he'll definitely be back for the playoffs for those of you starting to prepare for your playoff pools. But in the meantime, yeah, he might get a game in also before the season wraps up. Okay, so that's some good news. Now let's move on to the bad news. A lot of injuries to report. And of course, we're not a news podcast. We're not just going to tell you who was injured. We're going to try to get into who you can pick up as the people replacing the players who got injured in order to maybe give your team a boost. Again, this is all about getting a couple extra points right at the end of the fantasy hockey season if you're in the finals. Let's start with some of the biggest injuries that happened. It's crazy. Every week we're reporting on Huge stars going down, no exception this week. Jonathan Taves, right off the bat, gone for the rest of the regular season. So he joins Patrick Kane on the shelves for the Blackhawks. One player who has, I guess, benefited, not in the stats, but at least in his position, is Andrew Shaw, who's now on the top line. But that top line doesn't contain Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves. So is it really such a great place to be? Well, Marion Hossa and Patrick Sharp aren't exactly slouches. But I think we've covered Andrew Shaw earlier in the year when he did have this kind of opportunity and he wasn't able to consistently produce, regardless of how good his line mates were. I think if you're desperate, he might be worth it. But if you look at his last two games, he has no shots on goal and really nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's not only playing on the first line, but also playing on the first power play unit. So yeah, exactly. That's why I'm not jumping at Andrew Shaw. He doesn't excite me as a fantasy player. Another superstar gone down who might have carried your team through a lot of the season only to disappear when it counts is Matt Duchesne. So Elon, what's going to happen in Colorado with Duchesne out? Yeah, Colorado is an interesting team to watch. I actually watched their game yesterday against St. Louis, a 4-0 shutout, a dominant game for Semyon Varlamov, who definitely deserves some props from us. We both have him. I don't know if the podcast should be renamed Keeping Varlamov because I guess Carlson still is the clear star on our teams, but Varlamov is now leading the league in wins and has an amazing save percentage. But I'm not even going to say, I I don't think we would ever name our podcast that. I'm not even considering him as like a surefire keeper. I think Colorado has seen a fair share of luck and he still has really strong number on the strength of the first, you know, quarter or half of the season. But I think over the last half, I mean, this week he was incredible. But aside from that, I think he's been fairly average. Man, I don't know. Okay, Brian, you're gonna have to bring in some fancy stats for this, because I know that I've been reading on Twitter and on your watching the game subreddit that people are predicting that Colorado's gonna regress next year and they're definitely overperforming and having luck. Is it really that significant? Because watching their games, they seem to just be a really awesome team. And yeah, Varlamov's won like six starts in a row. His overall save percentage on the year is 927. His goals against average is 2.42. Well, I know it's hard to believe when everything's going so well. And Varlamov himself has had more months of the season that have been above average than they have been average. But the team overall, and I think score effects play a part in this, and I can explain those in a second if you want. But their possession numbers are amongst the bottom in the league, like they're bottom five in both Fenwick and Corsi measures of possession. And also their shooting percentage as a team is second in the league. 
So both of those indicate to me, well, the possession indicates that, well, they're not really driving or controlling play, and that's not a good sign. And the shooting percentage indicates to me that they're getting a little more than their fair share of luck. Their save percentage is also third in the league. And those are the sort of things that aren't easy to repeat because they aren't necessarily skill-based. And I guess that's what they have to prove next year is that it is skill-based. But as you've been reading, and as I think most people looking at the numbers think, is that they're all due for a bit of regression. And it should have happened already, to be honest, over the last month or two of the season. And I think they did a little bit, not quite as hard as others might have expected, but it's there and it's something to be wary of for next year. And that's why I would never rename this podcast to Keeping Varlamov. I can't commit to that. And actually, Elon, remember I mentioned score effects and I'm realizing right now I'm looking at their score close possession numbers, which means they only count when the score is close and that tries to counterbalance score effects, which are briefly in a nutshell, the way that when a team gets in the lead, they sort of sit back and stop trying to drive possession the game tends to tilt against them um, because they go into a defensive shell and that's a good way to rack up negative possession numbers. So if you're a team that's leading often, that'll hurt your possession numbers, even though you might be a good team. You're sort of punished in your possession numbers for getting ahead of the other team. So that's what score effects describe. But when we're looking at possession numbers where the score is close, that tries to account for those fluctuations. And you're saying Colorado's possession numbers, even when the score is close, don't look very good? That's what I'm saying. They are 26th overall in Corsi and 27th overall in Fenwick. And if you want to know whose company they're keeping, I'll give you four team names, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and Buffalo. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. So definitely there'll be a team to watch for the playoffs in next year. But in the meantime, we were talking about Matt Duchesne. Don't worry, fair listeners. I didn't forget. So with Duchesne out... A couple of players have moved up to very prominent roles. I guess one that's already sort of been in a somewhat prominent role, I don't know if we've mentioned him enough on the podcast, is Jamie McGinn over on Colorado. Now he's on the second line with Ryan O'Reilly and Nathan McKinnon. He's gone through a couple of stretches where he's been relatively hot. Lately, though, he only has a couple of assists in his past six games. But he is playing on that second line, and he's on the top power play unit. So he might be someone you want to grab for the last week if you need some help and you're in a deep league. He's tended to bounce around on the depth chart this year, but his numbers after 74 games seem to indicate about what we can expect from him. He's got 18 goals and 17 assists for 35 points on the season so far, so not quite half a point per game. Last year, similar pace. Yeah, so if you don't want Jamie McGinn, another player on Colorado who definitely does get the, I would say, best benefit from Duchesne being out is a guy named John Mitchell. And I don't even know if you've heard of him. I hadn't until recently. But Mitchell right now has a very nice spot on the top line with Gabriel Landeskog and Paul Stastny. He's found himself also spotted in the second power play unit with those same two guys. And he has uh, been on a bit of a hot streak lately. So he was injured and then he's just come back in four games since coming back. He's got a goal and three assists, so four points in four games. And just before that, he was doing all right, too. He had five points in five games before getting injured. All that said, though, that's contributed to him having 30 points on the year in 72 games. His previous career high, 29 points back in his rookie season with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I wouldn't expect a very high ceiling for him, but I guess on the top line is a good situation for him. Still only getting one shot on goal in each of his last three games. 
Right, okay, yeah, I definitely am not recommending to draft him high next year. But with one week remaining and playing with Stasty and Landeskog, you could do a lot worse, especially since Colorado's got four games next week, including a game against Edmonton and a game against Vancouver. And then he ends the week against San Jose and Anaheim. So not a horrible schedule, especially at the beginning of the week. So could be a nice add. For sure. We talked about last week how it is the end of the season and we are really looking at like seven days left in the season. That's only three or four games. And at this point, the value of like previous career history isn't so great because we really are just looking at a really short period of time where, you know, quote unquote, anything can happen. So I'd be a little more willing to take a chance on him now than I would six months ago, to be honest. And because of that, like you said, he could be worth a look for some teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, moving on, another player who got injured last week. Not a huge name, but I think the player who might be replacing him is intriguing. So Andrzej Sekera on Carolina went down a couple of games ago. I'm not sure exactly how long he'll be out for. According to Rotowire, it's a lower body injury, and we'll know more by Tuesday if he gets put on the IR or not. But interestingly, when he was announced as injured for the game against Dallas last week, the player who took his place was John Michael Lyles, And he got a goal and two assists. He played 21 minutes, including almost four minutes on the power play. So if Lyles is going to have an increased role, he definitely has shown in his career an ability to produce offense. He might be a nice sleeper defenseman pickup for this week. Sure, he has shown it in his career, but not since 2010-2011 when he last played with Colorado. He had a few rough years in Toronto and in the AHL. Uh, But Carolina hasn't been terrible to him. I think he is seeing more opportunities like this one. And I am genuinely curious if he keeps seeing more time like this, if he can maybe not quite reach the levels he was at. He was like a 40-point guy before, 35-40 points. But seeing if he can at least approach those numbers again. And by the way, we should give Sekera some credit. He had a really great fantasy season, 44 points in 74 games. Helped a lot of people who definitely picked him up off the free agent wire because he was not somebody who was drafted in a whole lot of leagues this year. So Andre Sekera, give yourself a pat on the upper body because your lower body is still kind of hurting. Uh, so do you think that he'll be able to repeat this next season? Where would you draft Sekera at this point if you had to draft for next year? Well, he definitely eclipsed his career high of 29 points back in 2010-11, but I think he was given a new role in Carolina, being someone who was more offensively involved than he had been in the past, and he seems to have taken advantage. I wouldn't bump him up a whole lot, but I definitely would consider drafting him this year because I don't think many people did. All right, let's move on to the third headline of the week. And not a very surprising headline, just the fact that it is the last week of the season. And because of that, some teams have already announced that they're going to be resting some of their players. So this is something that poolies need to watch if you're planning on depending on someone. And then it turns out that they won't be playing in a crucial game just because their team is resting them for the playoffs. One team that's been especially vocal about their plans to rest their players is the Boston Bruins. So if you have Jerome McGinley... Zdeno Chera or Tuka Rask, you definitely need to be careful. And the other one, Elon, that affects both of us deeply is Colorado. Patrick Waugh said he was going to rest Semyon Varlamov and give his other two goalies a chance to play. I think the Avs have four games next week, so you could count at least two of them gone to Red Obera and J.S. Jaguar. I don't know if Varlamov sees more than one. Uh, I sure hope so, because with Kemper injured at the moment, I need as many starts as I can get. Well, I wouldn't be too worried, Brian. He did this a couple of weeks ago when I was in the middle of my semifinal matchup, 
And it basically went that he sat Varlamov for two games, he let Jiguer play one time, Barra the next, and after that, Varlamov got back in the net. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same thing. So I'm sure you'll get the two Varlamov starts that hopefully will put you over the top. I believe in you, Elon. <laughs> and actually about the Bruins, maybe we can mention quickly that if players like Eginla and Chara are resting... That could potentially be an opportunity to pick up a player who will have an increased role. And especially on defense, I feel like Boston has been scratching good defensemen every once in a while. They've sort of been cycling between scratching Tori Krug, Andre Mezaros, and Dougie Hamilton. So obviously if there's a game where Chara gets sat, then all three of those defensemen will play. And I think they're all pretty good offensive options when they're in the lineup. All right, well, let's move on to that point in the podcast where we talk about how we're doing in our pools, and our listeners should be happy to know that Brian and I are not a couple of phonies that don't know what we're talking about. We are both heading to the finals. I'm actually already in the finals. Brian is looking like he's going to win his matchup this week and go to the finals. Brian, give us a status update. How are things looking? Tell us the moves you've made and the moves you plan to make. Okay, first let me shout out Travis Zajac. He was a move I made a few weeks ago. And remember, I'm really low on roster moves. I kind of miscalculated. But he really made it worthwhile when I picked him up. He had a hat trick on the week. He's got four goals, two assists, plus four, a power play goal, game-winning goal. 17 shots on goal, and even one blocked shot. Louis Erickson also had a four-assist game for Boston, which is so nice after the season he's gone through. 11 shots on goal on the week, too. And Steve Mason had a good game, stopping 25 shots with a 9.26 save percentage. And we already talked about Varlamov. So all that to say, I am actually coasting through my semifinal matchup right now. It looks like I am headed for the finals. I've got seven of the 13 categories all but locked down going into the final day of play. That's so exciting, Brian. I'm excited too, but I'm a little worried too because my most recent pickup, remember I had five left going into this week, and I added Evgeny Kuznetsov to my team, and he has rewarded me with not a whole lot. He has one goal on two shots, which would be okay in one game, but that's for his last four games, including one in which he played just seven minutes for the fourth line. Grabowski's return sent him back down the Caps' depth chart, but he's since been pushed back up. So I'm hoping that perhaps he can score another goal or two. But since Kemper was day-to-day, I actually moved him to the IR Plus to add Ryan Strom. I was pretty excited about him. He has four goals and eight assists for 12 points in his last 17 games played. He gets a couple shots a game. He's on the first power play unit and has some of the better possession numbers amongst Isles forwards, which is really impressive for a rookie, especially one that's his age. I picked him up because he's got five games left in the season, as opposed to most players who had either three or four. And I'm hoping he can do a little bit for me next week, maybe more than Kuznetsov was able to. But that pretty much sums up my week. Elon, did anything significant happen in yours yet? You're in a two-week final matchup right now. Yeah, that's right. So I'm one week into my final matchup, and I'm just destroying my opponent. I'm sorry to say to the Arlington Armed Penguins, you have no chance. I'm going to win the championship, and I'm very excited about it. Are you calling your shot? Yeah, that's right. I am guaranteeing victory at this point. So you'll either hear me very excited or embarrassed next week. But I will tell you about some of the moves I've made. Earlier in the week, I dropped Brandon Dubinsky to pick up Matthew Perot. We talked about him and his great schedule that the Ducks had. He's done pretty well. He's got two assists in three games since I picked him up, including a power play point. And there's still a game today against Edmonton and a game tomorrow against Vancouver, after which I plan to drop him. And I'm thinking of picking up either 
Cody Hodgson, Artem Anisimov, or Mike Fisher? So, Brian, you want to give me a quick ranking of those three? They'll all have four games left at that point. I think if you pressed me, the thing that interests me about Artem Anisimov, first, I think he's probably the best of the three, even though his points lately don't show it. And he does consistently put, you know, three, four, five, or even six shots on goal. So he's not going to contribute nothing to your team. Aside from shots on goal, though, I think I would be most interested in Mike Fisher and then Cody Hodgson, who, you know, I haven't been his biggest fan for the entire season. All right, thanks. I'll definitely keep that in mind. I'll let you know what I decide come Tuesday. A couple other moves I made are I dropped Mikhail Backlund, which was a planned drop. Calgary had a really nice schedule for a stretch, and then I knew that I was going to be dropping him last Friday, and he happened to get injured on that day, so that made the decision extra easy. So I dropped him for Travis Zajac, who somehow showed up as a free agent in my league, even though, like you've been saying, he's been doing really well. And I'm very happy with having him for the last week. I was surprised he was available. And then finally, sad news, another injury, which I guess I didn't mention before, but here's just as good a time to say Patrick Eliash took a really hard hit into the divider. If you see the gif of this, like I did, it doesn't look good. He's already missed one game. He's still day-to-day as of now, but I'd be very surprised having seen that replay if he plays again for the regular season. So I decided to drop him, and I picked up actually another Islander, Brian. So it's interesting. You picked up Strom. I could have taken him, but I ended up taking Josh Bailey. Yeah, he started off the season as a huge disappointment. I think a lot of people had big expectations for him, but he put up a lot of zeros up until about December... Then he was a pretty steady scorer, but since January, he's been in this pattern where he puts up a bunch of points and then goes silent for three or four games, puts up a bunch of points, goes silent, puts up a bunch of points. Like this, the cycle has repeated like three or four times, and you're picking him up just when he's picked up a bunch of points. So look out. But really, I mean, what's to say? It's really impressive. How could you not? He has six points in his last four games, two goals, four assists, including four points on the power play. If I had realized that he was available in my pool, I think I probably would have taken him over Strom. And yeah, for me, it was really kind of a coin flip between picking up the two of them. Obviously, Bailey is hot. Maybe Strom has a higher upside, but that's more long term. But I saw Bailey was playing more minutes, so I thought that might just be a safer choice. Yeah, and it's good you weren't fooled by his numbers on the year. He's got eight goals and 26 assists for 34 points on the season, which normally is not fancy relevant. But considering he went literally two months scoring only three points and still put up those numbers. I mean, it's still not excellent, but it's something that you were smart enough to look past for the last week of the season. You're so smart. Thank you. And one other thing that everyone should be aware of is something that I'm aware of, which will lead to, I think... My other move I plan to make next week is that the Winnipeg Jets actually end their season next Friday. So if you own any Winnipeg Jets, they're not going to be playing on Saturday or Sunday. And in contrast, there are some teams that play on both days, including the Ducks, the Bruins, the Sabres, the Sens, the Flyers, the Coyotes, and the Penguins. So if you have a Winnipeg Jets player, there'll be no harm in dropping him on Saturday, unless, of course, you plan on keeping that player for next season. So I'm planning on dropping Tobias Enstrom at that point, and I do want to thank him because he was the type of player that we were complaining about all season for having done nothing, but he really did put in a really nice playoff run. But I will say goodbye to him after his last game against Calgary on Friday, and I'm looking to pick up Oli Mata, who maybe can just get me something against Philadelphia and Ottawa in the last two days of the season. Well, Enstrom 
you're right. I mean, he only has one point. It's a goal in his last five games. But prior to that, he had nine points in 12 games. And that was a key run leading up to the fantasy playoffs and during the fantasy playoffs. So what we did recommend with him during the season was that you pick him up if you have the spot so that he can do something for you if and when he picks it up after the Olympic break. Turned out that it sort of happened. I hope he can still keep going for the rest of the year. And maybe that'll give you a better indication of where to draft him next year. I think his stock has definitely fallen, though, but that might be a good thing, something you can take advantage of. I'm not too down on him, despite his off year. So that's it for the update from us. We'd love to hear from all of our listeners. Let us know how you're doing in your pools, especially the people who are still in it. You know, we're ready to help you this week. So you could tweet at us with any last minute moves you're thinking of making, and we could try to help you through them. So yeah, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Brian, why don't you tell us about some players that have been on your mind over the past week? Okay, let's start with Bo Bennett, who is actually succeeding next to Crosby and Kunitz. We've talked about the revolving door between them before, and I was sort of lukewarm on him when you mentioned him last week as a potential pickup. He's been okay. Expectations, I think, are fairly low, seeing as how past experiments have gone there. But Bo Bennett has two goals and an assist and eight shots on goal in five games since returning from injury to play on the Penn's top line. So good as a depth pickup, but not a whole lot more at this point. Yeah, Bennett's playing with Crosby and Kunitz on that first line and also getting a small amount of time on the second power play unit. Next, Elon, I want to talk about a player who has been a mystery and a pain for Pulis all season. I hope you weren't one of the people who held on to Thomas Fleischman all year, even though we ourselves preached patience with him about uh, 20 games ago or so. It took a full season to figure out, but the mystery of Thomas Fleischmann's season seems to have culminated in one abnormally small number, and that number is 4.5, and that reflects the percentage of his shots that are hitting the back of the net. Let's put it this way. To date, there are 236 forwards in the NHL who have put 100 or more shots on goal this season. In terms of shooting percentage, Steven Stamkos is number one, far and away above 20%. Thomas Fleischmann is tied for 233rd in the league out of 236 eligible players. And Elon, we've talked about this plenty of times on the show. Do we consider single-season shooting percentage to be a fair indicator of a player's ability? I guess no. It's more about bad luck. Right. Especially if you look at the entire sample of his career, because he's down there with other players like Brian Boyle. But Brian Boyle has always been at that number in his career. But if you looked at Fleischmann's past seasons, he's never shot less than 9% over the course of a full-ish season. His current number is only half of that. It's been a terrible season for him, just 8 goals and 19 assists for 27 points in 76 games, along with a couple healthy scratches along the way. It really sucks for anyone who's stuck with him all year because that was actually the rational choice to make. But that said, as someone who didn't get burned by him this season, I will still be looking to get him in the draft after he drops further than he should next year. Oh, yeah. I'll be surprised if you can't get him in the final round of your draft. He's been a free agent in my league since the new year, I would say. Yeah, people kind of have short memories, though. And I, I know that works in terms of players who are suddenly great. I don't know how good it is in terms of players who suddenly fall off in production if they end up falling a lot in draft or people forget about that last off year and, and remember most of their career's work to date. I don't know. That's something to think about when you're penciling him into your draft list. Now let's go to another player who has been a regular theme on our podcast. And also he's on the other side of the shooting percentage coin. His name is Gustav Nyquist. And 
Remember the 236 skaters with 100 or more shots on goal this year? Steven Stamkos was number first. Gustav Nyquist is second. We've mentioned him a whole lot lately as someone who's been really exciting to watch both on the ice and the score sheets towards the tail end of the season. And with just a week left in the year, sure, he could keep it up, but his 28 goals have come along with a shooting percentage that rounds up to 20%. He's scoring on one in five shots, and it's pretty unlikely that he can sustain that sort of thing over the course of next season, let alone his career. And another point to mention, he's also won the Red Wings farm system several more accolades as he looks to be another hidden and well-developed gem for them. But think for a second, he is actually one year older than Steven Stamkos, which can teach us all a lesson when you're looking at a prospect's value. Age matters. It's a similar situation with Thomas Tatar. If Steven Stamkos was just coming into the league this year with the Detroit Red Wings, our jaws would all be dropped too. But that's sort of on them for maybe leaving a prospect in the minors too long. And if that's the case, that should be a point of concern rather than pride for Pulleys who load up their teams with Detroit Red Wing draft picks. So it sounds like you're saying that Nyquist might be overrated when it comes to next year's draft? That's what I'm saying. 28 goals is incredible. And I mean, he's really accomplished a whole lot and he looks really good doing it. But a 20% shooting percentage is not something I'd hang my hat on. If he can do it for another year or two, then more power to him but I wouldn't count on it. I'll let somebody bet too high on him than get caught doing it myself. Okay, very interesting. Thanks. Anyone else? Somebody else who has been impressing with their goal scoring lately is Milan Mihalik. He's suddenly sitting at 17 goals on the season thanks to a late season push. Six of those, that's more than a third of his total on the season, have come in his last 11 games. He was putting more shots on net for a while, and that was probably the reason why he was scoring a little more but he slowed down again only five shots on goal in his last four games. So don't get too excited about him if he's still available. He could be a solution, especially like you mentioned, Elon, with that back-to-back on the last two days of the season, but he's not at the top of my watch list. And Elon, one more player before we move into the jobbers because we need to give him his due because I don't think anyone else is. James Wisniewski set a Columbus Blue Jackets franchise record for points by a defenseman just this week. He now sits at 47 on the year, 7 goals and 40 assists, and that puts him 10th overall in the league in defensive scoring. And by the way, Mark Giordano, who we profiled last week, is 11th. Wisniewski's also put 159 shots on goal, which is good for around the top 20 among defensemen. And he's done it all pretty quietly, at least I think so. And I think that might be because this is the first time in three seasons that he's played the full year without getting hurt. But when he does play, he generally has put up a 40-point pace or higher. There are a lot more attractive names out there than James Wisniewski's, but I think now is a good time to just take note and plan accordingly for next year. Yeah, I think he'll always have that concern around him that he could be injury-prone. And even when you say he's been healthy all season, that's not completely true. He's missed around six games this season, so nothing serious. But given his history, I would be wary on pinning too much of my hopes for next season on him. Though, like you say, it's been an amazing season for sure. And a big disappointment lately down the stretch for me, especially Mike Richards. I'm just going to put his name out there. Two goals and nothing more in his last 15 games played. If you're desperate for points, you'd be okay to drop him, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely mentioned a plethora of players available that you could take instead of him. Time now to move on to our segment of the week known as the Jobbers. So these are players who aren't going to set the world on fire, 
but may just give you a couple of points to put you over, and that's all you need when it's one week left in your matchup. So, Brian, who are your jobbers for this week? I have three. Two of them are from the same team, so let's start with the other one. Mika Zibanejad of the Ottawa Senators stepped into a second-line role just a little while back when Spezza missed a couple games due to injury and fit right in alongside Mihalik and Hemsky. The bad news is that when Spezza returned, he went back to playing with possession anchors named Zach Smith and Chris Neal. The good news is that he's still succeeding in spite of them, putting up strong possession numbers and, yes, points too, because I guess that's what counts at the end of the day. All told, he has three goals and two assists and 11 shots on goal in his last five games played and makes a great end-of-the-week pickup for when Ottawa plays those back-to-backs on the last two days of the season. And Travis Yost over at Hockey Buzz wrote recently that Zibanejad's play all year has been something that the Sens and its fans could really take solace in during the real awful thing that this season has turned out to be. So anyone considering picking him up, don't let the Jersey crest distract you from an impressive rookie season and a bright future, not just for the next week, but hopefully beyond that too. Okay, now I'm curious to know, what's this team that has two jobbers available? It's the Minnesota Wild, whose players have been interesting, I think, for a lot of the year. And a couple are coming on towards the end of the season, one who we would have expected, and one whose name we probably didn't know up until now. Let's start with the one who we could have expected, the one I wanted to expect, Charlie Coyle, the bane of my fantasy team for a significant portion of the year. He's finally putting up points, and in a pretty substantial way. He's put up nine points in his last eight games, scoring four goals and five assists in that spin, and only missing the score sheet completely in one of them. And I can't tell you exactly what's changed with him. He's back playing with Parisi and Koivu, the two guys that he shouldn't have slumped alongside but did for several weeks of the season when he was on my roster. And he hasn't seen a whole lot of change in his underlying numbers. So my only guess is that, well, maybe this is what he should have been doing to some extent for most of the year. And maybe his teammates have been a little more successful in putting points on the board themselves, especially Koivu lately. Yeah, well, before you get to your last Minnesota Wild player, I will mention that they have a pretty nice schedule over the next week. Four games, starting right away on Monday with Winnipeg, then they play Boston, St. Louis, and Nashville. And that also bodes well for the last jobber this week. His name is Eric Haula. He's a Finnish rookie, just turned 25, drafted in the seventh round of the 2009 entry draft, 182nd overall, had zero fantasy relevance for the first 39 games of his career that he played this season. He had just 14 points and barely a shot on goal per game. But because of Michael Granlin's injury, he's climbed up the depth chart and into Granlin's spot on Minnesota's second line, playing on the wing with Pominville and Molson. And what do you know, he's making the most of it with two goals and one assist in his last three games, along with eight shots on goal. And I think he sort of exemplifies the jobber status. You can't count on him for a whole lot. Don't put all your eggs in his basket, but he could get that one point or two points that will put you over the top in your last matchups. So I imagine you're recommending if they're both available, you should go with Coil. Yeah, I would still take Coil for sure of those two. And that's going to do it for episode 25 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey podcast. For everyone still alive in their pools, we really hope that our advice is going to help put you over the top. And for those of you who aren't, Hopefully our draft advice at least has gotten you thinking about things you could start doing for next season. 
We'll be back at you next week with our final episode of the season. And don't worry, we'll still be around in the summertime, but not putting out weekly episodes. But we will be out next week to recap the end of the season and give out some awards to who has impressed and I guess also unimpressed the most during the season. So if you have any suggestions or nominations for any year-end awards such as Most Viable Player, Best Undrafted Player, Biggest Bust, Best Available Free Agent. You know, whatever you could think of, send it in to us. We'll definitely read your picks and analyze them on the podcast next week. But in the meantime, I always like to say that you should follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. We're tweeting lots of advice throughout the week, and we answer your questions if you send them to us. You could also email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. And as always, we appreciate it very much when people give us a five-star review on iTunes, as that hopefully helps the show get noticed by more people. And with that, Brian, take us out with the credits, and let's start that outro music. Okay, this show was researched with the help of Extra Skater, Left Wing Lock, Daily Faceoff, Yahoo Sports Fantasy Hockey, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Well done. Good luck in your finals next week, Brian. And I'll talk to you in a week. Good luck to you too, Elon, and to all our listeners. Bye.